We're heading into the sixth and final episode, for now, of our special limited podcast series on FX rules changes in 2023. Our goal here is to talk about the global code of conduct in the FX markets and what changes we can expect in the future. I'm Mike Cahill, head of video and podcast content for sales enablement at the London Stock Exchange Group, and I'm joined by Chris Leonard Appleton, head of FX risk and regulation at LSEG. Why has there been so much focus on conduct in the FX markets over the last few years? Well, I think to answer that question, we need to go back in time, to be honest. So if we go back to November 2014, we had some of the largest fines imposed by the FCA on five of the banks in the UK. And there's actually later a sixth. So, I mean, the fines exceeded a billion pounds. And the cause of that was really for manipulation of the London FX 4PM fix which was obviously a pretty egregious thing. You know, penalties were later levied by the CFTC and the Swiss authorities. Then if you rewound pretty much precisely one year forward, a couple of banks were fined by the New York Department for Financial Services around their last look practices. Went to July 2016, another UK bank was charged by the US Department of Justice for front-running client orders in FX. And then in November 2016, two Australian banks were fined for attempting to rig uh, the benchmark for the Malaysian ringgit. So it's safe to say there was a two-year period in which conduct in the FX markets was found to be severely lacking. And, yeah, there were a lot of causes around that, which the FCA later sort of opined on, sort of you know, poor financial incentive schemes, poor compliance, risk controls, all this sort of stuff. And, yeah, I might add, you know, the cultural practices weren't just consigned to FX or the poor cultural practices. You know, several years prior to that, there'd been the LIBOR scandal, and then there've been a number of scandals around interest rate swap mis-selling as well. But yeah, I think it's safe to say there's a particularly two, two there's a particularly dark period for the FX markets in general, and it was clear that you know something really had to be done about it. So, in response to all of that, Chris, what concrete action have regulators and the industry taken? So, I think there were a few. Um, so, to begin with, the Bank of England and the FCA launched the Fair and uh, Fair and Effective Markets Review in the UK. And you know, given the importance of the UK markets, particularly at the time, a lot of other regulators sort of followed that with close interest. That really looked at what was going on in the markets across the financial services industry. Off the back of that, in FX, we then got the. Um, the FX Global Code of Conduct, and we also had the establishment of the GFXC in 2017, which is now the organization that maintains that code. So the code is really a set of standards that have been agreed between all, you know, all of the major central banks, um, all of the main sort of regulators, and obviously a, 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 a set of market practitioners who fed in, including um, what was Thomson Reuters and Refinitiv at the time, obviously now LSEG. And, you know, it covers a lot of the usual stuff. So ethics, governance, execution, the use of confidential information and so forth. So generally speaking, it's a, it's a voluntary code. But, you know, adherence is very much a key focus for the industry at the moment on that. So why does FX need a code of conduct? I mean, shouldn't this be covered by normal regulation? No, that's a really good question. And to answer that, you need to look at spot FX, which, you know, with only a couple of exceptions, is generally outside of the regulatory perimeter. So it's an unregulated product or uh, instrument. So that means that the usual conduct rules in MIFID or you know, the Financial Services Act don't apply to spot FX. And that's actually why the code of conduct was required. It's also why it's voluntary. And that's now causing a lot of, you know, I, I won't say issues, but it's um, coming into focus because 
you can't really make something mandatory without either getting people to agree it via a contract or bringing it into the legislative and regulated perimeter. So, of course, now there's a huge amount of focus on how uh, you ensure adherence to the code. <laughs> and a lot of that really has to come down to peer pressure. Although I might add, you know, the uh, regulators like the FCA are using some other statutory tools that they have available, like the senior managers regime, sort of as a, a carrot-shaped stick, if I can put it that way, to try and ensure adherence moving forward. So do you think this is all resolved now, Chris? I mean, have the regulators closed this chapter or are they still scrutinizing this part of the market? Well, I think it's safe to say that regulators will not stop scrutinizing this, and nor should they, frankly. And I, I don't think the industry should ever become complacent about it. Yeah, there have been a lot of development since uh, really those those days. Most recently, we had an update to the code. That was the end of 2021. Uh, most of those changes really revolved around you know, things like disclosures of order rejects and how banks will reject orders and why. Uh, use of tagging, uh, use of conflicts of interest and codes around that, and use of confidential information. So there's still a lot of updates that are occurring to the code. And away from the code, there's still a lot of uh, activity from the authorities as well. So most notably, ESMA put out a call for evidence last year on pre-hedging. Uh, so primarily looking at potentially abusive activity involving pre-hedging during the last look window that you know, could potentially start to look rather uncomfortably like front running, frankly. So, yeah, you know, I think there's, there's still a lot of scrutiny. Um, but in terms of whether all of this has worked, I think, you know, there isn't that much empirical evidence, frankly, as to whether conduct has improved. But I think what we have seen uh, is a reduction in fines levied, together with an increasing assertiveness from a number of the banks that will only deal with signatories to the code. So I think those two things on their own are very positive evidence of, you know, improvements being made. So, Chris, as a final question for this episode, do you, what sort of role has LSEG played in all this? Well, I mean, we take conduct very seriously and we were one of the leading players, as I said, in you know, dra helping to draft the code back at its inception. Uh, we did that via our membership of a lot of the main local FX committees. And of course, we we're a member of the GFXC as well. So, yeah, as a, as a venues operator, we're absolutely committed to ensuring a high level of fairness and integrity in all the markets we operate. We're continuing being an active participant in the conversations with the GFXC in the years to come. Um, and crucially, we reattested to the code in on the 5th of October last year. So, you know, good news on that front. All right. Very good, Chris. Uh, thanks once again to Chris Leonard Appleton, head of FX Risk and Regulation of the London Stock Exchange Group. This wraps up our series of uh, six special podcasts on FX regulatory changes in 2023. I'm Mike Cahill, and thank you all for listening. <laughs>